Hello, and welcome back to the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast. Today on the show, we're having Connor Robinson, a humanist speaker and activist, and I really mean activist this time. He's founder of the Yale Humanists and director of the Pathfinders Project, and he's working on launching a humanist service corps to give uh, secular people a chance to go out there and really help the world. Genuine social justice activism. All right, so we're here tonight with Connor Robinson of the Pathfinders Project. Hello, hello. And uh, we're hoping to find out more about what he, uh, who he is and what he does and why we got him on the show. Well, first of all, uh, here you're going to be speaking at Free OK. That's true, yeah. Um, August uh, 9th and 10th. I believe I am in the lineup for the 10th uh, at Free OK. Awesome. Oh, that's a great way to end it. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think I'm a keynote or anything, uh, but uh, I think people will be pretty excited to, uh, to hear what I've got to say. Yeah, I think, I think they will be uh, because – what you do is, uh, I would say, truly unique. A pathfinding, even. <laughs> uh, 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 sorry. Could you, could you <laughs> tell us a bit more about what it is that you do? Sure, sure. So um, I've been working with uh, Foundation Beyond Belief for a little bit more than a year now to try and launch the first permanent international service initiative for explicitly non-religious folks. And we started with an exploratory year of service that took us to seven different locations, um, or seven different countries, rather, ten different projects. Uh, And we were essentially trying to scope out locations and partner organizations for launching a a humanist service corps with the idea that um, in future years uh, we could build up a a scalable model um, for doing essentially – really serious secular development work abroad uh, and drawing, you know, uh, atheists, humanists, agnostics, and non-religious folks of every stripe into service abroad as a, as a way to sort of broaden their non-religious ethics and also give them leadership skills um, to employ back in the States. Now, who would you say was the um, founder of this project? I was. <laughs> you were. Well, there you go. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Who did, who did you closely work with? So I, I started it out, well, it all started sort of, you know, as uh, a garage project. I was really just trying to do this um, so that I could I could travel meaningfully on my own. But as I was uh, establishing relationships with these organizations that I wanted to work with, um, I found the work really fulfilling, and I also found the idea, um, well, it was important enough to me, and it was important enough to the people that I was talking to that I thought that it might be something other people would be interested. So um, it was at that point that I approached Dale McGowan of Foundation Beyond Belief, and um, the foundation and I have been working hand-in-hand since uh, since November of last year um, to, to get that going. We love Dale. We've had him on the show. I've interviewed him twice. Uh, one of those recordings didn't work, oh, no. and, uh, and the other one was on the show. Uh, and he was a delight to talk to both times. And we had him out here in Oklahoma for Free OK last time. Exactly. Yeah, Dale McGowan is one of, I mean, he's one of my favorite human beings. He's just, he's so humble, but I mean, what the guy has accomplished is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I just, I don't, I can't quite fathom how he can be so awesomely down to earth and yet such a kick-ass human being to begin with. Uh, I'm not going to say that the speaker circuit is jammed with egos. I'm not going to say that, but (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, but... Dale is just a delight to talk to and to be around, and you don't get uh, the sense that 
you know, he's at all inflated from being the kind of person that really people should be listening to and uh, reading, and he's really uh, brilliant. He's written this book, you know, like Atheism for Dummies, and he's written like this high-end book, which is basically the really super encyclopedic work on atheism. And yeah, like it's a $100 book. Yeah. It's a textbook. He, he really runs the gamut, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't guess that. Well, right, because the, the cool thing is, I mean, he's the kind of leader who likes to build the people up um, who are around him. Um, and that's that's what his focus is on building everyone else up. But yeah, I mean, he's got those books. He writes fiction. <laughs> I mean, he he was he taught music. He has a like a doctorate in music or something. He was a college professor. It's just it's it's insane what this guy's done. But so, and yeah, don't don't tell him about this show. This is a kind of embarrassingly. Like, <laughs> yeah, we've done this before. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to get favors from Dale McGowan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so you started off, you wanted to go travel and, and do service work on your own, and how did it snowball into a big project? How did that happen? Yeah, um, initially, um, like I said, I, I just uh, lined up service projects on my own. I had a, a focus in the beginning on clean water work because I saw that as a, a really uh, critical point of entry. Um, by, by taking uh, out the water issue in communities, you can really free up, especially women and children, to uh, focus on, you know, their futures and focus on building their 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 community infrastructure. Um, right, they so, spend like just hours and hours every day tracking down water. Exactly, right? and it's and it's almost exclusively uh, women and young children. Wow. So you free you free the women up, um, and as as with you know any sort of microfinance or entrepreneurship efforts, we find that when we give uh, women in particular a chance to invest in their futures, they, you know, communities just, just skyrocket. Um, yeah, there's something interesting about that. It's like when you get, when you uh, put the command into women or you put the, uh, the money into the command of the women, they seem to build up their family while it's not always the same for men. Not always. <laughs> I don't want to make any sexist generalizations, but the men tend to spend it on power and greed and AK-47s. Yeah, Yeah, it seems to happen that way. I didn't say that. Um, (laughs) So can you tell us about what does it mean when you have an exploratory – this year of exploration? Yeah, so um, the idea was that uh, in order to really be able to jump into a long term, we're talking probably – at least five years as a as a starting partnership with an organization uh, in terms of launching the Humanist Service Corps. We want to know more about the location and about the partner organization than we can find out online, you know, than, than we can see just from looking at their financials or talking to them over email or at best over the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of, of the exploratory trip was that we had a, a short list of organizations and locations where we felt uh, it might be good to launch a humanist service corps. But we wanted to get a closer look, and we wanted to um, begin exploring uh, the partnerships with the organizations on the ground through pilot projects in each of the locations. So, you know, that, that looked like doing some education work in partnership with um, some of the humanist schools in, in Uganda. That meant... Um, Helping uh, children, um, children of the border, uh, build latrines in Haiti, you know, or uh, installing a new water center um, with Water Ecuador uh, on Isla Puna. The idea was that um, a 
we were further exploring how how service can provide a foundation for making human connections across you know divisions of religion race etc um, but also really that we were trying to get an up close and personal look at what the organization's you know um, methods were uh, how their how their staff operated how their funds were were allocated so that we could really get a sense of if if they'd be good organizations to partner with for launching the Humanist Service Corps. Wow, that's like really in depth. So you have to just see. I, I can see why you want to go go there because for all these years you're gonna to have to trust them by working with them. You know, long distances. So I can Ex- see why it's exactly, very important. Exactly, exactly. And you, it's it's interesting because Foundation Beyond Belief, ever since its inception, has had an investment in. Um, making sure they vet organizations very thoroughly. The primary, the primary purpose of Foundation Beyond Belief is to serve as a sort of charity conduit, um, a charitable giving conduit for its members. And so they vet organizations, and then they they make sure that the money that's being sent isn't you know being used ineffectively or irresponsibly by these organizations. But even as good a job as FBB does. As volunteers on the ground, we still discovered things um, that FBB just simply could not have discovered on on their own from abroad. Right. Could you tell us about some of the specific projects that you've worked on? Sure, sure. So um, maybe highlights, uh, some of the most interesting ones. Um, probably, uh, I already mentioned the, the humanist schools in Uganda. Uh, we worked at Kasese Humanist Primary School and also Mustard Seed Secondary School. Cool. That's a great I'm going to assume that's a Christian school. No, it's not actually. But, it's a really uh, weird name funny? for not a Christian school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that they're okay with it being um, with sort of flying under the radar that way. Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't let uh, Christians have a monopoly on mustard, really. Right, right, no. or or on metaphor. Right, exactly. Uh, great parable. Yeah. Why not? Uh, it is a good parable. I'm going to give Jesus props for that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean the the environment in in Uganda is um, is so hostile to humanism and uh, to, to developing any sort of uh, critical thinking about religion or any any ability to compare different religious um, beliefs. Uh, the the curriculum in um, Uganda teaches uh, Christianity and Islam um, as fact to its students. Interesting that it has both of them, but the students can choose which curriculum they follow. So if they come from a Muslim family, they, they answer the questions about, um, about Islam. If they come from a Christian family, they, they answer the religious studies questions about Christianity. But these questions are, you know, things like, who is your Lord and Savior? The answer is Jesus. You know, um, and these these are questions that you have to answer in order to you know in order to pass your your exams. So if you say Baphomet, um, then you just fail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are two there are two possible answers. <laughs> <laughs> is it Chris? Is it Jesus or is it Muhammad? <laughs> and really, it's all about spelling at that point. Yeah, I would go with the easier to spell one. I mean, just. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's it's really interesting what these um, what these humanist schools are trying to do, and and it's further interesting that they've actually been somewhat successful. But uh, 
science is still seen. I mean, they're, they're pro-science schools, essentially, and that's why they're allowed to do what they do, because the uh, Ugandan government knows that um, science education is very important. But the Ugandan people sort of view science as this neo-colonialist force. Oh. Uh, and, and so there's, there's this interesting resistance uh, to the idea of science as something that is further undermining the traditional beliefs and the traditional custom, you know, the ways of living. That's so disturbing. I've, I've heard, I've, well, I've read stories of people trying to, you know, eradicate a disease, and then they run into this attitude of, well, you know, vaccines are a part of the colonialist whatever. People are suffering because they, they see it that way. It's very... No, it's there's there's a weird disconnect between like the the history of you know going going back hundreds of years the the missionary history to the region. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking Christian missionaries and and Muslim missionaries, and then now this new idea that especially in Uganda, um, there's this idea propagated by uh, uh, evangelical American missionaries now. That anyone who tries to convince Ugandans that homosexuality is not, you know, the the epitome of evil, these are new missionaries. They're trying to convert you to homosexuality, uh-huh. and and this this you know sort of science uh, initiative is part of that. Interestingly enough, that uh, is so disturbing. It's, it's very disturbing. <laughs> Maybe tell you about uh, one other highlight project. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Please. Another really interesting um, situation for completely different reasons um, was uh, the one we encountered in northern Ghana. Uh, we, we got linked up with uh, an organization in northern Ghana called Songtaba, and we got linked to them by Leo Igwe, who's the Nigerian humanist who's been researching um, witchcraft accusations uh, in Nigeria and uh, the Ivory Coast and Senegal and, and most, mostly in, in Ghana itself. Um, and so what, what happens in northern Ghana is uh, women who are um, 70 or 80 generally, who've outlived their husbands and who've also outlived their ability to produce children, and so I guess in a way are seen as sort of having outlived their purpose to society, unfortunately, they're accused of witchcraft. And when they're accused of witchcraft, they're, they're exiled from their communities, usually beaten from their communities. They're only allowed to take the clothes on their back, and then they're sent to uh, one of six camps for alleged witches. And I guess the good thing about the situation in northern Ghana is that these camps actually exist, because there's this belief that the land has power that strips the women of their powers. And so for that reason, they're allowed to live, whereas in other countries, they're not. Whoa, you just brought up something that is is always fascinating to me, the idea of a superstition that is either harmless or helpful. In this case, helpful. Right. It's like, if we could spread the superstition that the guys with vaccines are, you know, they're here to help you, you know, like, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we could somehow yeah. work that in. Like, yeah, like, the, you can go to the witch doctor if you can, but also, the guy with the vaccine is totally part of God's plan. <laughs> Use the superstition to our advantage. Well, no, I mean, it's like... I, I know that, you know, as as a skeptic, I'm always, you know, pushing, you know, find the truth, find the truth, find the truth. But sometimes as a humanist, I'm like, just get it done. Just get, just right. help people right now if you can. Yeah, because right. these people are going to die or, or just suffer in the meantime while you try to get the truth. I, I understand that. Yeah, that exactly. Conflict. Exactly. The, the Ghanaian government back in, um, I think it was 2010, 
they they announced that they were going to shut down these camps by 2012, I think it was, and everyone flipped out because if you shut down the camps, then instead these women are all going to be killed. Wow. Um, yeah. So there's fortunately they didn't shut them down, and um, and really what needs to be done now is the living conditions need to be elevated in these camps while at the same time there needs to be an effort to educate the communities that are sending these women about the causes of the tragedies in their lives you know the real causes of the tragedies and also uh, about the the rights of all humans and especially the rights of these women so you gotta be like philosophers where you just gotta reason them out of this thing i that's a i can't do that a... i can't do that to people that live here in oklahoma I know. I try. That's very tough. <laughs> I mean, are, are they? What do you have? Rates of literacy in the area? Well, yeah. See, there's there's a really interesting dynamic in Ghana, and this brings up some some further great conversation about superstition, beneficial superstition, harmful superstition, and also how we com, com, combat superstition. I think because there are ten regions of Ghana. And there's only one region of Ghana where these witch camps exist. And there's only really one region in Ghana where these accusations occur. Oh. And it happens to be the poorest, least developed region. So we had this interesting parallel because we, um, we also worked in Accra. We worked one month in Accra and then we spent the second part of our time in Ghana in, in the north at this, this camp. And while we were in Accra, every single person we encountered also believed in witches. And the belief in witches is everywhere in Ghana. I think something like 75% of the population, if not higher, uh, believes in witches. So in Accra, everyone still believes, but they don't accuse each other. Or, or they have, I think, I can't remember who, who used this recently, but someone talked about the difference between, uh, between silent accusations or invisible accusations. I'm sure people still believe that there are witches around them, but it doesn't manifest as accusations, beatings, as exiles, etc. So when someone gets malaria in Accra, they recognize the symptoms and they go to the doctor. In fact, one of our volunteers got malaria, and our boss in Accra, who told us that he believes in witches, told our volunteer to go to the doctor and get his blood tested. Fantastic. Yeah, that's good. Whereas in the north... You have these communities where during malaria season, the rates of women, the numbers of women who are exiled from the communities, it doubles. The number doubles because they don't understand the the mechanism of mosquito, virus, malaria, sickness, and fever. Mm -hmm. So it's possible to to take it in steps. And the first step is to, to teach them a, a bit about how um, pathogens work, how um, vectors of disease work. Uh, and you don't have to eliminate the witch belief. If you can get them to, if you can get people to understand like germ theory or you know how malaria works, if you can just get them to believe that the doctors are going to figure it out, then that's a good first step, even if they still believe in witchcraft. Well, exactly. And I would say even before that, or maybe simultaneous with that, you get enough doctors there because there just simply aren't as many doctors in that region. You know, you you need better schools there, you need better hospitals there, better better resources of of every you know kind. And then I think, you know, if you're in a position where then you can you can talk to people about the actual belief, great. But if you're at least in a position where the belief is no longer used as an explanation for all of the tragedies, then that's at least somewhere. Right. That makes sense. So it, it's great, you know, if you can teach them that medicine's true, but then they, they, they don't have the resources to reach anybody that can give them the medicine. So what's the point? 
Right. Okay. I've I've seen a few studies about how superstition is is largely correlated with the chanciness of the endeavor. So, um, for example, baseball players are very superstitious when they're going to bat because it's a very chancy yeah, and uncertain endeavor. And those same baseball players aren't really superstitious at all when they're playing outfield. It's all about skill then. Yeah. <laughs> so true. So yeah. if if you give them a chancy, if you give people a really chancy and uncertain future, they tend to lean towards superstition. And if you give them a sure thing, they tend to lead to, lean towards you know rely on the skills of man to get by. Yeah, no, I think that applies. I mean, you the these people live live lives where tragedy can strike out of nowhere, right? right and, exactly. and and that's less of a problem in in Accra, but but in in certain regions and especially in northern Ghana, like it really, I mean, you can you can the the odds of you dying during childbirth are completely unpredictable as far as they can tell. You know, the odds of you getting fever um, and dying from that, or or a waterborne sickness, you know, these these tragedies strike seemingly out of nowhere. So yeah, it's a very uncertain existence for them. Which is you know what most of humanity has had to cope with throughout most of yeah. our entire our entire development as a species. The future is somewhat certain. It's a relatively new idea. I, what I'm saying is that rationalism is a luxury good. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I understand it. Uh, I'm going to tell you that uh, Connor that your talk is going to be a hit because, I mean, what would you say was the biggest hit last at last year's talk? Uh, man, I don't know. If you can't s- think of his name. What about the politician? <laughs> the one that said we should all go to Iowa. Oh, you think Faircloth? Yeah, Faircloth really did get the room going, yeah. Oh, yeah, he got it, the room going really because did. I think there is a lot of vigor for activism. So I think you'll you'll have a lot of people that are very intrigued and invigorated by it. You know, you're right. Yeah, well, people yeah. like people love the idea of being able to get involved. Like they enjoy a talk about quantum physics and how you know quantum field theory and how the world works, but they they do love the idea of getting the chance to be involved. The cool thing is, I think you know, there's I've I've got stories, be, you know, after story after story after story that's you know heart wrenching, but there's also a lot of hilarity that happens on a trip like this. So I can I can lighten the mood a little bit too with some of the whimsy that we encountered and bring people in that way is the, so is the right order that. hilarity heart-wrenching and then hilarity <laughs> i i gotta you know experiment on people I'm, i haven't find i haven't found the right the right balance yet you know <laughs> hit them in the hit them in the gut with you know something hard and then bring them down soft i don't know what do you think i'm gonna say make it a five-layer sandwich with, <laughs> with hilarity on the outside i like that too yeah, yeah i think that's good that's good <laughs> No, I'm sure it is. I'd go with a five-layer dip, but yeah. yeah. The five-layer dip of tragedy and comedy. <laughs> I think I think you just gave me the name of you gave me the name of my talk. <laughs> I will buy you a sandwich if you, if you make it the five-layer dip. <laughs> okay, so something I've been thinking about with with humanism. We okay, we have a lot of people in our group that are atheists. They're like new atheists, and I don't mean like new atheists like Richard Dawkins, I just mean they're new. Yeah. They're new to it. And they haven't heard much about humanism, and they haven't heard much about uh, the kind of stuff that Foundation Beyond Belief promotes. Uh, and I was, I was just wondering if you could explore you know, the relationship... Sorry, that's my toddler yelling in the background. <laughs> if, if you could tell us a bit about how uh, humanism relates to atheism. When, when, you, when someone says they're an atheist, uh, my general understanding is that tells me really only one thing about what they don't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hey, I don't believe in any of the gods that other people believe in. But um, 
It doesn't tell me about their their positive ethical outlook on life. And humanism is a specific set of beliefs about the way we should live our lives, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the the I think the simplest explanation um, is one of the best ones. Uh, I think it was Ingersoll's explanation, um, but I might be misquoting. But it's basically just that you know our our purpose on this earth is to um, be happy, and the way to be happy is to make others happy. And I see that as a pretty good uh, summation of what uh, what humanism says. Although it's definitely a much more complex philosophy than that, if people are interested in looking into it. That sounds very Ingersoll-y. I think he said that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so basically how that ties into Foundation Beyond Belief mm-hmm. is just that, um, unfortunately, when, when people leave religion, uh, right now they don't have too many uh, communities that really mirror the communities that they had when they, when they belonged to churches or synagogues or whatever the case may have been, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that... Uh, there, there aren't really too many spaces for non-religious people to get together and celebrate certain, you know, life uh, achievements in a sense, or life, you know, milestones, or uh, to engage in ritual together, or to engage in service together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Foundation Beyond Belief is is part of a growing movement, I would say, of building those kinds of communities. And the the specific piece that Foundation Beyond Belief tries to provide is that uh, service engagement piece, that charitable giving piece. I think what most atheist groups is they have a meetup and they go eat. And I mean, we have a really bustling environment. In yeah, we've got, we've got a meetup like every day. Like yeah. Oh, wow. Something. Yeah. Yeah. But it is mostly going somewhere, eating or... Um, Playing card you know, games or doing trivia. Yeah, yeah exactly. But we do some service. We do that uh, food bank on the we- on the weekends. So. You're right. That is like a that, that is definitely a service, and we've been doing that for years. So I, that is very interesting. I, I don't know how many communities have that kind that it, that's built like that. Well, that's uh, that's why I think we need to be sort of shameless in ripping off the churches. Like, you know, you think about what is it the church provides for people as socially. You know, like really functionally, what it provides for people as a social network. And one of those things is the chance to do service projects. Like when I was a teenager and when, when my wife was a teenager, we went to Mexico on, on these mission trips. And we spent some small part of that time talking about the Bible, but we spent most of that time actually working on you know building an orphanage. So, uh, which we weren't particularly good at, by the way. It turns out that teenagers from Edmond are not good at building things. I know, <laughs> I know that you're the exception, Chaz. I'm sorry to, to say that. Because um, I know you are great at building things, but most oh, yeah. of us weren't. Uh, but the point is, we had a chance to do service together and to help people uh, who needed who needed more help than. than and we. that experience was probably pretty valuable for the volunteers, I would think. It was it was great. I mean, it was it was one of the more memorable things that you know I, I went through in that in, at that age. Yeah, and so I don't know. I think um, I think non-religious people still still crave or or miss that sort of thing in a sense, and it's good for us to. And not everyone does. I mean, some many many atheists want nothing to do with anything that even resembles religion at all. But oh yeah. There there are some who do, and I think we should. We we're we're responsible for providing it if we want to provide people a viable alternative to religion. Right. Right. That's what I, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like the all the positive aspects of 
of the church experience, whether it's meeting single people that you could maybe marry someday or you – know, Right, kind of important. Yeah, or <laughs> – right, or eating pizza or, or hanging out or just having a, a social network or, or doing service projects. Like th- this, this part of it I think has been missing uh, for a long time from what I would say is the, you know, the humanist atheist alternative to the mainstream sort of Christian lifestyle around here. Connor, do you have any opinions of like the ethical cultural society? Because um, I believe James Croft is in St. Louis, and I think that only can mean that he's a part of that group now. Do you know yeah, anything about them? Has he been captured by the ethical cultists? <laughs> I mean, culturists. He might. He might. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, my knowledge of them really only goes as deep as James's, you know, Facebook posts. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> which is a lot. Yeah, yeah that's, true. Lot. that's true. That's true. No, but I mean, maybe I can still comment sort of in that direction by talking about Sunday Assembly, um, which I think, oh, please. which I think has, you know, maybe some of the same goals in terms of um, bringing people together regularly in sort of a congregational way. Yeah, Sunday Assembly LA uh, has been doing pretty well, uh, although it's interesting. Um, we've always had uh, a very strong atheist, humanist, agnostic contingent within the uh, Unitarian Universalist Church of Santa Monica. Uh-huh. It's actually uh. a it's actually a defined like subgroup, and it has been for many years. And so uh, they obviously meet on Sundays, and Sunday Assembly obviously meets on Sundays. So, I mean, they're, it's not like they're in competition with each other. They both support each other, but uh, there are some allegiances, allegiances in different directions. We've never had a problem with that sort of thing around here. No, <laughs> not at all. But uh, but in Oklahoma, interestingly enough, I feel like uh, you, I feel like a lot of that really uh, positive regular activity that you have probably stems from the fact that, um, and this is me just speaking out of complete ignorance. Go um, go but, go. <laughs> I mean, it probably stems from the fact that uh, Oklahoma has to be a slightly more hostile environment than, say, Los Angeles. Oh, you nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, Yeah, you totally nailed it. I thought you were going somewhere else, but yeah, you nailed it. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost just kind of like out of boredom that – that this this uh, group – or these groups in L.A. operate, I think. But with that being said, no, I think it's it's a really cool thing – my my cousin uh, was asking me a question today. I went on a hike with him. He was he was saying, "Well, why is it Sunday assembly? Why? I mean, couldn't they have just chosen any day? Aren't they basically lending power to the like Christian idea of you know the Sunday being sacred?" And I was saying to him, you know, basically arguing from the Sunday assembly point of view that I think they they want to fit into uh, what's comfortable for people because they want to provide an alternative in a way that doesn't feel too jarringly different. Um, and I think a lot of people might balk at that. They might not like it, but I think there is, there is value in for, for many people in providing this thing that looks a lot like, and feels a lot like church provides a lot of the things that church does provide for people in a positive way, but without all the negative aspects. Um, also, there's no reason to be contrarian just for contrarian's sake. Yeah. Right. I don't get that. I disagree completely. <laughs> <laughs> totally wrong. You're so wrong. <laughs> I have to ask you, you asked, you mentioned going on a hike and you mentioned humanism. So I, I have to ask about the humanist hikers of Southern California. I, I have heard of them. Um, I am They're somewhat cute. ashamed. I'm somewhat ashamed to admit that I am on like every single meetup that there is for... <laughs> 
uh, non-religious gatherings in Southern California. Okay. And I've I've almost never like I've never actually been to any of them. Damn it! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to get the scoop I've, on these on these hikers. So you go to atheist.meetup.com. They're just above us, and I I'm just like man, are these are these people for real? Are there really 2,100 people who are into secular humanism and hiking? <laughs> uh, I would imagine that they might get a group of like 10 together, but I don't know. I'm going to go investigate, and I will get back to you. I would Please. really appreciate that. Cause, okay. Cause I, have, I have a sense that maybe I'm being scammed here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say, have you ever been to these Sunday assemblies? No, see, uh, Sunday assembly launched pretty much right after uh, I left for Cambodia. With oh, that's right. It is very recent. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I, I do have I, I really want to get out there. Um, the only Sunday assembly that's happened since I've been back uh, happened while uh, I was in Las Vegas for this year's TAM. Um, oh, yeah. Bastard. And the next one the next one will be when I'm in Oklahoma for free OK. <laughs> so <laughs> well, lucky you. Yeah. But I after that, I will be able to attend. If you join no if idea. you join our meetup at meetup dot com slash Oklahoma atheist, then you can say that you attended one atheist meetup when you go to free OK. Absolutely, because yes. that counts. All right. So then I can stop being ashamed of myself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it won't help you out as far as California meetups are concerned, but you can say you you went to atheist meetups at some point. Well, I'm really just following the uh, the California mo, which is to sign up for everything and show up for nothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just stay up by the beach. We never yeah, have exactly. a problem with that here either. <laughs> Not at all. Every one of our 1,959 members are active. We've met all of them. Yep, I know them all by name. That's incredible. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, I'm not credible when I say it. Uh, speaking of lack of credulity, uh, how was Tam this year? Tam, Tam was really good. Um, I think uh, there's always a little bit of tension for me at Tam as as a humanist and someone who has a lot of uh, a lot of friends, um, at least you know virtual friends who are in the no longer invited to Tam list. Um, but uh, let me just What's stop that? the recording here and ask the really tough question. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Get her out. No, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, no reason to get into that necessarily. But yeah. I actually, um, uh, I also, uh, I just really appreciate a lot of the people at TAM, and I think this year I, I felt a, a shift in the way that um, our table was perceived, the Foundation Beyond Belief table, and the ideas that we were promoting. You know, many of the ideas we've discussed on this podcast so far. Um, there was a little bit of antagonism almost to us last year, uh, but almost there was none. There was none this year. Um, I think there's there's a a little softening um, or or more of a sense that many of the skeptics also strongly identify as humanists and strongly identify with the values of um, service uh, and not just service as a way of um, you know, serving the debunking, in a sense. Right, yeah. We're, we were talking about that with, with DJ uh, a while back on a different show, when we had DJ on the show. And um, I really liked his approach. You know, it's good fences, good neighbors. Like, the humanist movement is part of the Enlightenment, enlightenment movement. Um, Foundation Beyond Belief, I see, is, is fundamentally a humanist enterprise. And skepticism is part of the Enlightenment movement. It's a different part. They have different things they focus on. But, you know, good fences, good neighbors. We're all part of the overall enlightenment project, trying to help people live better lives. That's the whole point. Exactly. Exactly. Did you get a lot of people to sign? Because last year, okay, last year I signed up to donate 
every month to Foundation Beyond Belief. Did you get some people to do that this year? Yeah, we did. We did. And I think we got we got more than we got last year and more names on the email list and and fewer people who were just completely disinterested. Most of the people who stopped by the table were were at least curious about what we were doing. Um and and saw saw the you know the alliance saw the connection between you know the efforts to promote scientific literacy and um, and reason and skepticism around the world and the effort to um, do service to humanity in other ways. Because right, you are basically doing skepticism when you go out there, or you're you're trying to uh, give these people skeptic tools when you go out there. Well, we we have various approaches. Um, and I think, I mean, it's definitely one of my goals, and always has been, to promote, uh, to promote, you know, the application of the scientific method, and um, and and basically to see to see people living more reasonable lives. That's absolutely one of my goals. But I I think as a humanist, and I'm not saying that skeptics don't also do this, but I'm saying that um, I take what would probably be seen as a soft approach um, by some skeptics because I don't think that the way to get people to adopt the methods of, of you know critical thinking that I want them to adopt is by is by attacking the way they're they're currently operating or by teaching them head-on um, alone I think that the teaching needs to happen but there are some other um, underlying things that have to be addressed first uh, before we can even get to that point, and so my my um, my approach is is really more about. I mean, it's it's kind of like the Northern Ghana situation. I think it's a development thing, and I think that we gotta we gotta get to a lot of other sort of Maslow's hierarchy uh, base level mm-hmm. items before we can even think about. Okay, now let's talk about let's talk about rationality. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that, yeah, to some extent you gotta give people clean water first, and then exactly. you can explain to them why you know. Clean water is important from an epidemiological perspective or a physiological perspective. Um, yeah. But but first you have to have them not dying of dysentery before you get the chance to really right. explain germ yeah, theory. It seems important. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> certain order of these things. Um, man, I'm really I'm really sad to hear that you have that you had a bit of a hostile reception at TAM last year. I experienced a little bit of that myself at the Skeptic Inc. table. Whenever people would see we'd had books on atheism, and some mm. people are aggressively on the the strictly scientific skepticism side, and they'd be like, "Well, no, I'm not. I have no interest in that. I have no interest in that debunking religion stuff. I'm just here to debunk stuff that's scientifically testable." And I'm like, "Look, that's cool. Uh, we focus okay. on that too. We've got a lot of that on our website." <laughs> it's yeah, maybe I I I feel like last year in general, and to be fair, I'm completely out of the loop because hey, I've been sort of off the internet for a year, but and we admire um, you for it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But um, I, I feel like last year there was more of a focus on labels, and I could be completely off on that. But uh, I feel like what I'm talking about with humanism versus skepticism and what you're talking about, atheism versus skepticism, was a label issue that was really sort of at the fore last year. It flared up in um, Orange County with PZ Myers and Jamie Ian Swiss's talks. Um, I have and then no recollection I think it, of that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> don't Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Um, and you know, continued through to Tam. And I, by the way, I'm I'm not bringing any of this up to say that you know uh, any of the folks at Tam did anything wrong. Um, we are so thankful to uh, 
DJ in particular and to JREF in general for, you know, inviting us last year and for allowing us to be back there this year. And the Pathfinders um, used some of JREF's classroom kits when we were in Uganda and Ghana. And that was one of the ways that we did directly try to teach, um, well, try to try to let kids sort of see for themselves um, how things like, you know, dousing for water just don't work, right. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. So what did yeah. they have to teach you? The kids? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So many lessons. Um, my uh, Each of the volunteers, I think, had, you know, their own sort of internal journey um when my interactions with especially the women that we met Mm -hmm. were were lessons in resilience um and perseverance i just uh the the stories of these women um that we met were were incredible um and they really it's it's hard not to go on a trip like this and not come away with um, perspective and appreciation uh, for you know life uh, back in the states, mm-hmm. um, no matter what the life back in the states is like. Um, and overall, the entire trip for me was uh, a process of coming to terms with um, how I can function in the states as an ally in all of the causes. Um, in which I would like to be um, a, a vocal supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think before I left on this trip, um, I really wanted to be a, a loud and um, constructive voice in, in conversations with people um, in the LGBTQ movement and the feminist movement uh, in particular. Um, and that meant me talking directly with um, the women who are affected uh, and the uh, the queer individuals who are affected when um, I wasn't necessarily speaking out in conversations with essentially, you know, the, the white heterosexual men um, in my life uh, whom I saw acting in ways that were, were not constructive, that were not helpful. And so uh, this this trip directly helped me realize that um, I think that's more my role and should be more my role uh, is using, you know, the the fact that I am a white, you know, heterosexual male and I do have confidence in my voice as a result of all of the, you know, the positive experiences I've had to um, to speak from the position that I have with other men who might not yet be aware of um, of how they of how they contribute and how they can work for positive change. I definitely want to hear more about that. Chaz, are we should we, should we even should we go there? Go there. Let's go you think there. we should go there? Okay, cuz this this yeah. is an incredibly contentious topic in It is. Atheism. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and while I try to maintain a certain neutrality, uh, people don't see it that way. Uh, actually people on both sides think I'm a but um, you know, that's neither here nor there. Actually, it's both here and there. anyway you want to tell us more do you want to tell us more connor do you dare i don't know if i dare okay Um, you want to to focus on helping people who really need help instead (laughs) that's cool okay so how would you confront someone in you know in america versus in ghana or what would be an example yeah what would be an example yeah maybe i can illustrate via a couple anecdotes uh maybe that maybe that would be helpful and then if you have clarifying questions we can go from there um, and 
again, this is this is my this is my experience. I'm I'm really talking about the lessons that I drew for myself and how I'm going to approach these conversations from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm not. Well, let's just leave that there. Uh, okay. So, um, in uh, when we were in Santo Domingo, um, we met this this really cool woman uh, who was uh, studying. Well, she was traveling the world on what's called a Watson uh, Fellowship, and it's this cool opportunity to do um, what's called a Passion Year, and you go around the world to pre-specified locations. Um, researching something that's that's of interest to you that's a that's a passion you know point for you and she was researching um she was researching western influences on um african uh self-perception uh specifically with regard to beauty so um western influences on concepts of beauty in the african diaspora and in africa Um, so she should, so yeah, so she was, she was a Ghanaian American. So, um, she was visiting Ghana. Uh, like I said, I found her in uh, the Dominican Republic. She also went to Jamaica. Um, you know, basically anywhere where, um, as a result of slavery, there were, um, you know, African or individuals with African roots or in Africa itself. And she was really just looking at, um, salons. Um, looking at their marquees, looking at uh, what sorts of images they had inside, um, and and using those images as a way of gauging what the standards of beauty were in those locations. I, I had a great conversation with with this woman, um, but I, I think in my conversation it was really uh, it should have just been my role to sort of um, to listen and reflect um, and. What I ended up doing at, uh, toward the end of the conversation is bringing up es- essentially the point of internalized racism. Um, just that, you know, well, so you've got this research and then in the future, um, further, you know, further research would probably need to look at how uh, there, are, there are influences that are separate from, you know, strict Western influences at this point, influences from within the African diaspora communities themselves that reinforce even divergent, you know, standards of beauty. Um, and so how do we do, how do we deal with those? And that's, I'm not saying that, that, that's a, that's a, an, an illogical or an incorrect point to make, but this, this is a woman who has studied critical race theory. This is a woman who has, who has lived, who has, who has lived an experience and who understands internalized racism far more deeply than than I could, um, and so I just think it was an inappropriate time to bring that point up, and I was not the person to bring that point up. And the re- that that became clearer for me later. And again, I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not saying that this applies to everyone, although I, I think it probably applies to some people aside from me. Later, uh, I was I was in a a group of volunteers. And there were, you know, some younger male volunteers who just got on a stream of that's what she says. And they were just going and going and going and going and going with the, that's what she says. And the, the women in the group were uncomfortable. And um, they weren't going to speak up. I mean, obviously, they could have. Um, but I, I, there, there are reasons why um, they, they wouldn't have felt comfortable speaking up. And I think I should have spoken up. 
Uh, and I knew I should have. And inside, I was just saying like to myself, why aren't you speaking up, essentially? And I didn't. I never spoke up. And uh, the jokes continued. The women kept feeling uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable. Um, and so I was just thinking about why I, why I speak up in situations where something inside me says I probably shouldn't be. And then I don't speak up in situations where I really should. And for me, at least, I think it might come down to this, this confidence I have in my own voice. And unfortunately, I think I, I have more confidence in my voice when I am the voice of privilege in the room. And I have, I have almost less confidence in my voice when I'm just, you know, one white male voice among many. And that's, that's, that's troubling for me. And again, this is just my realization. Um, but it does have an, it has an impact on how I will, you know, proceed in the future. And the way I will proceed in the future is I think, uh, I will endeavor to make my voice, um, more heard when I, when I see, um, people, especially white heterosexual men unknowingly, um, contributing to the marginalization of people who don't fit those categories. I would like to give an opportunity to um, tell us how we can contribute to the Pathfinders Project or a Foundation Beyond Belief, if he knows. Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so let's see. Um, yeah, so as we were discussing before, uh, Pathfinders Project was really just an exploration and sort of the first step toward launching a humanist service corps, which is the work that I'm engaged in now. Uh, if you're interested uh, in hearing more about the Humanist Service Corps, you can find that information on pathfindersproject.com. There will also be uh, official announcements made on foundationbeyondbelief.org. And at foundationbeyondbelief.org, if you're interested in becoming a part of uh, that community of engaged humanists that's uh, giving, it, giving charitably month by month or getting updates about um, responding to crises around the world through our humanist crisis response, then you can sign up to be a member there or simply sign up to receive uh, email updates there at foundationbeyondbelief.org. I give $5 a month, and, I mean, what a big deal it is. I don't, that's like nothing to me. $5 a month, I can, I can definitely budget that, and it feels great. And that, the cool thing about that $5 a month is that, you know, you can allot it however you want between the five beneficiaries. Oh. Um, so you get a buck to each beneficiary if you just leave it as it is. Um, and then you can also get the updates on the other stuff that FBB does. Oh, I, I had a question I meant to ask earlier about the um, the conference last weekend. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, I mean, it was definitely uh, smaller than TAM, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, you know, it's is the first the first time that uh, that people have come together to talk. You know, not about. Um, debunking religion or not about debunking, you know, the, the claims that, that science can actually take a look at, um, to go back to that, that previous point, but just about, um, you know, what atheists, humanists, and agnostics can do to make the world a better place via, you know, service and charitable giving. So it was really the first conference of its kind, not to say that there's anything wrong with those other conferences, but I think we should have all of them. It was, it was really inspiring. You know, there are a lot of non-religious people already out there doing amazing work to change the world. And I think uh, it's not equally important, but it is also important to to showcase that in a sense. 
so that so that other non-religious people know what's being done and they can get involved if they want to, um, and so that the world essentially knows. And you know, we stop having Joe Kleins, etc., say that. Oh yeah. You know, we're not we're not an engaged part of of you know humanity, making the world a better place. It's funny how when you overlook everything that we're doing, then you can be like, why aren't they doing anything? Right. <laughs> you guys know that um, better than anyone else, probably, since, you know, Joe Klein's comments came basically right after, you know, the, the tornado struck more Oklahoma. So, right after and Free OK, okay was, was out there. Yeah, we were out there. You were, you were out there. Um, yeah, you were, you were doing, you know, on the ground disaster relief, you know, with funds that had been raised by humanists around the country and, you know, by your own organizations and, yeah, just er erased, apparently. And at this conference, uh, it's Humanism at Work, right? This conference? Yeah, that was the title of it, Humanism at Work. Well, it's F uh, FBB, we should mention it's called FBBCon, right? Yeah. Oh, Foundation okay, got it. Foundation got it. Beyond Beliefs Conference. That was a yeah. theme then. Did okay. you get to see Amy last weekend? That's what I was going to say. Uh, yeah, I did. Yep. Awesome. Was she, yeah. All right. Cool. All was right. she radiant as ever? Yeah. She was, She was. I would say, bubbly. Yes. Very radiant. Yeah. Uh, very positive. Very excited. We uh, we had a chance to talk a little bit about, you know, the conference coming up a couple weeks from now. Awesome. Uh, yeah. She says you're a hottie, by the way. <laughs> Even with the beard. About you. Yeah. <laughs> Even, oh yeah, right. Okay, we didn't even talk about the beard. I meant to ask. Do people try to touch it all the time? All the time. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you I have mean, like a bird in this. Yeah, there. it's like a pregnant belly. Like it's, people just want to reach out to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, touch it. Wonderful. And you decide on whether or not you're going to keep it. Well, I'm gonna. I have a couple weeks left until I hit the full year mark. So I'm still not. I haven't been trimming it at all, and I'm not going to trim it until I hit the full year. I think I might, you know, give it a little shape after that, and I'm definitely gonna cut the hair. But right now, it's sort of a calling card. So, um, you know, it, it says I'm, yeah, a hippie service traveling humanist person. So yeah, it kind of is. Remind me to introduce you to Bearded Skeptic um, whenever uh, you're at Free OK. Oh yeah, Absolutely. he can tell you about the uh, Beard Team USA and the opportunities in that in that yeah. subculture. He can get you in the circuit. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. It's like all true. Well, maybe, maybe I'll wait. I'll hold off on trimming until then, because then I can go into the full natural category. Oh, I see you've been doing your homework. I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is really pleasant, uh, Connor. I hope we can uh, we can buy you lunch when you're out here. We can talk more about the feminism stuff. Oh, and also, uh, I went on the Pathfinders project. Well, I went to you know Foundation Beyond Belief, and I found this place where you can buy coffee, and the money part of the money goes to uh, the Pathfinders project. So. I'm going to put that on the blog post. That's true. It's I love called, both of those things. Yep. Right? Right? Yeah, it's called Grounds for Humanity, and the, there's a lot of cool stuff about that. I mean, it was actually uh, a blend that was selected by the Pathfinders. Uh, it's amazing. It's fantastic coffee. It happens to be environmentally friendly coffee in addition to being, you know, coffee that supports a good cause. So, that. yeah, you, you can't – you really can't lose in that situation. Yeah, so I'll make sure to put that on the blog post whenever we. Uh, I really, I really appreciate you coming, uh, you coming out here, Connor, uh, and uh, talking to us. This, um, you are my favorite hippie do-gooder. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, bar none. Well, I look forward. <laughs> uh, will I get to see both of you? Uh, Absolutely, you will. Yep. Oh, look for us yeah. at the Americans United table. That's the table we'll be manning. Yeah. I will come say hi. 
Don't right, be frightened. Right. Don't be frightened off by the bird's nest in my in my beard. I just have yeah. to resist the urge to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Have a great All night. Right. You too. See you. Bye. The Oklahoma Atheist Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking, free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview, and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at www.oklahomaatheist.com. The music for today's show is from the song God is Dead by Jaron Lake and is reproduced here under a Creative Commons license. Jared's music in the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast are hosted courtesy of the Internet Archives Community Audio Collection, available at www.archive.org. To join discussion about the ideas presented in today's show, please visit our blog at blog.oklahomaatheist.com.